Church, it is just a delight to be with you today. It's actually, uh, I'm kind of uh, in a place here and teaching a message that is a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, um, we enter in a big text today. It's 2 Samuel 7, and it's a big text, particularly theologically in so many ways. And in fact, let me give you some examples of, of kind of others who say how big it is. The Gable line says, uh, 2 Samuel 7 is rightly regarded as a summit point in the Old Testament. Davis says, it is a major chapter in biblical revelation. Joyce Baldwin says, this chapter has was to become the source of the messianic hope as developed in the message of the prophets and the psalmists of the Old Testament. Thomas and Greer, it is one of the most famous Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Lastly, Arnold, 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. Hey, no pressure on me today. Um, And so going into this week, I I thought um, I would be going to where they're talking about. I mean, I just was quite sure that would be happening. I mean, uh, after all, it's a a summit point. It's kind of a a key, most famous chapter. But I'm just going to say, as I sat in the text this week, uh, I just became profoundly struck by the deep relational aspect of this chapter. There's a lot of high thinking and high theology in it, but it just happened to be, I don't know, maybe it's because of 9-11 and kind of the thinking and all of what's going on in our day, but I just see in this text this deep relationship. And I'll just say, uh, for me, I'm not a preach at guy, I'm a preach from guy. And what I mean by that is I just, on Mondays, when, when I begin kind of doing my commentary reading and, and beginning into a text for the Sunday, uh, I can just tell you I do not enter that going, okay, what can I preach at these lovely people this week? That's just not how I'm wired to think about that. I, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Admin Day, Wednesdays, those are kind of the main uh, building block days where I'm really looking at text, speak to me. Lord, preach at me. And uh, then I want to, from that, uh, communicate what God's Word has to say and, and be someone who's speaking from as opposed to someone who's speaking out. And so as I've been in this chapter this week, um, man, Wednesday afternoon rolls around and I'm literally just stunned by this deep relational thing that is happening in a text that, that is so often a high theology content-driven text. And both are are good, but I'm just telling you, I'm preaching from where God did a work in me this week. And so I'm preaching from this place of friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, know this. Our God is deeply relational. Deeply relational. And I really have one objective today. I just want to encourage you in that. If you're ready for some encouragement, I I trust you're in the right place today. I I just want to encourage you in this today. So uh, open your Bibles to 2 Samuel 7 if you haven't already. 2 Samuel 7. 
Um, I'm going to make reference here to the notes screen, uh, either up on the side or here uh, up on the TV screen. Uh, here's the outline of the text for today. That's the left side of the screen. And just, it's all there uh, so you know where we're going, just up front. Uh, David, hey, I have an idea, God. And then God says, hey, I have something to say about your good idea, David. And in that, the Lord looks back, the Lord looks forward, and then the Lord establishes, does an establishing work. And, and then you have, uh, after that, it's basically, hey, David, or David has these two responses. He responds in word, and actually in chapter eight, he responds in action. So this is kind of the layout of that. Uh, but in this time, I'm also gonna, uh, the right side of the screen is gonna be these four kind of like bumper stickers, these four highlights items I'm going to bring up as we go along, kind of pause moments. Because friends, uh, I think there are things that we just, in our movement and our understanding of God, we forget some very basic core things that are actually happening here in the text. And I trust they will encourage you as we go through it. So let's dive in, right? Uh, God help us and uh, show us more of who you are. Let's begin chapter seven. Uh, David has an idea. Let me read verses one through Three. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, uh, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. You read these first verses, and just a couple notes. By the way, uh, three times David is referred to as the king. The human author of the, the book here is, is kind of making that front and center. David is king now. I mean, it's for real. It's for full deal of it all. And he calls him king three times. That just becomes kind of a normal as we move along in 2 Samuel. We refer him to David, but also many, many times as the king. Now, note in the text that David is living in what for him is actually a very unique moment in time. He's living in a house, and it's a time of rest. That has not been David's story for like the last dozen plus years. Uh, I mean, David has been adversity after adversity after adversity after adversity, and now the text notes here that David is in like this season of rest that is happening. Well, what happens when you have a, a time of rest? Answer, you, you get to think about things that your brain normally doesn't have time to think about. You kind of get to like settle into some issues. And here, David settles into the one of the issues where it's like, hey, God has put me in this place and you know the, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah and Israel are together now and, and God, blow my mind, has made me king and all of this. And, and I actually have a house and it's a house in Israelite territory and, and we have the Ark of the Covenant it is now here. And yet, as I sit and think, God doesn't have a house. I mean, it's a tent. It's a tabernacle tent. From It's been hauled around for uh, generation after generation uh, since the Exodus. And, and David, I think it's an awesome idea. Hey, how about this? How about we give God a permanent place in it? It's not a bad idea. It's not a wrong idea. I think we all would go, boom, on that. That is a great, great idea with what's going on. Let's have a permanent place to represent the Lord. 
I'm going to just say this. Uh, Nathan then hears it, and Nathan's like, go do it, man. I mean, the Lord is with you. That, there's a great idea. And the, what follows here, we're going to see in just a moment, is God says basically this. Hey, uh, David, your good idea is not really my idea. So let's have a talk. Um, and before I go into that, let me just make this note. Christianity has this thing about uh, decision-making that goes weird. Decision-making oftentimes come to this place of, no, I feel God leading me. Okay. Like, how do you know that? Seriously. No, you see, I've prayed about it. And I feel at peace. Well, by the way, when Jonah was running from the Lord, Jonah was kind of at peace. You can look at the text. And in this, uh, just because, well, just maybe have a lunch conversation over that. Now that I've flustered you, work it through, because that's not where I'm going today. But but it leads into something as to where I am going, because God has something to say about David's I feel at peace about this really good idea. Actually, David, your idea is not my idea. Let's lean in. I have something to say, verse 4 through 17, uh, the Lord, verses 4 and 5. But, now when it starts from that, you already know contrast. Now, if God was on board, it would probably be and. But we already know... uh, Nathan is like, go do it, dude. You are on score, but. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. (laughs) Nathan, tomorrow, sit down with David and say, hey, David, not me saying it. Remember yesterday I said, go for it. The Lord has something now to say. And in that, uh, we'll read the next sentence. Here's, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? Starts with the question the Lord does. Uh, I like the way the New International uh, Version uh, lays uh, that out. I just lost place in my notes. Verse five. Yeah, verse five. What does it say, babe? Yeah, right, that's what it says. <laughs> Verse 5. In the New National Version, it says this, Are you the one to build... I can feel my face going red. This is really interesting. This is like a high school class. Um, and in that, it's like, would you build the one? Hey, God is not opposed to having the house built. God is basically saying, David, um, I thank you for the thought, but not you. But let me pause here just for a second in all of this. Because one of our highlight moments is this. God speaks. Well, duh, Doug. No, hold on for a second. That is actually something we can very easily just get into the movement of knowing that God speaks. And forget about the amazing fact that God We are talking, friends, about the creator of the universe that I would suggest is infinite in size because 
an infinite God would create something infinite to represent who he is. And the one who spoke things into being speaks. You can go over the history of mankind with the various gods that were put on the table, small g gods that were put on the table. And in all of this, I am telling you, God of Scripture speaks uniquely and here intimately. And I just put, as I'm sitting on this this weekend, I'm like, this is the Lord. Well, duh, Doug, this is the Lord. No, no, hold, stop, Doug. God speaks. God. And we know, 2 Peter chapter 1, that God has spoken and God has written everything we need for life and godliness. Not just the areas that we are interested, but everything that we need for life and godliness. But it doesn't have everything I want to know. No, but hear this, it has everything you need to know. It has everything that you and I need to know for life and godliness. By the way, not just godliness. And what do you think... If we really understood what we say, wouldn't you think we would be like all over this thing? I mean, like God speaks here. And it's a fascinating thing for, uh, listen, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just making an observation about what is it that we are like God's word and then it's like, it's the kryptonite. Isn't it fascinating? Friends, there's a war in our soul for who wants to be in charge. And when we come to this, that war is actually playing out. But God speaks. And because God speaks, and here to David, it's not just broadcast and to a gigantic realm of people. It's even here, hey, I have a word for David in this. It is relationship, it is tight, it is intimate. That is the God of scripture. A God of deep relationship. And so then the Lord looks back and the Lord looks forward. Let me read these, verse six through nine. The Lord looks back. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? David, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this house. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, I took you, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you've gone. And I have cut off all your enemies before you pause. It's just such a sweet thing. God is reminding David of who he is and where he's been. 
David is talking about a house for the Lord. Great thing, great thing. Really cool, cool, cool thing, David. Man, so much better than so many other things you could be thinking right now. And yet God's like, let me rehearse some things for you, David. Even before you were alive, I had a tent. And I'm okay with the tent. Truth of the matter is, is I don't even need a tent. There was never a day where I'm like, oh, gee, willy gosh, they got better tents than me. David, that's not what I'm about. Well, then David, when I took you, by the way, David, I took you. You didn't earn it. I'm just like you. And, and David, I was with you wherever you went. And, and by the way, you, you didn't have a, uh, like, David, I'm okay. I don't need a mansion. In a world that lusts for big, bold, and awesome homes, our God doesn't care. because he just wants to be with. By the way, this house is just a house. It's just a building. There's nothing sacred about this other than the fact that this is where God's people come together to gather together, to meet together. That's the only thing that makes this place special. God doesn't need this house. But he loves it when his people come and he's with them. And then he looks forward, end of verse 9. It goes from I past tense now to I future tense. And, and I will make for you a great name, David, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed more, no, no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judge over, judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that to you uh, that the Lord will make you a house. And your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish a kingdom. David, it's not your doing, it's God's doing. Verse 13, and, and he, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me his son and when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I did take it from Saul, interesting, whom I put away from before you. 20 times from verse 6 through the end of this paragraph of God talking, God uses the word I. This is very personal. Uh, I 
have done, I will do. And maybe today you just need to be reminded of this. Verse 15. My steadfast love will not depart from you. Our God is deeply relational, verse 16 and 17. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan then spoke them to David. Hey, friends, God is doing something. God is not only looking back and rehearsing over the course of history of who he is and what he has done. God is making reference to the future and what God will do through David. And in that, God then kind of like in the moment then establishes something. David, I'm going to do a forever thing through you. I'm going to make a forever house. I'm going to make a forever kingdom. I'm going to make a a forever throne. I'm going to do a forever thing, David, through you. And and, and that theological thing shows up in the very first verse of the New Testament when it makes reference in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is the son of David. Oh, and by the way, in Matthew 22, Jesus asked the Pharisees, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they say, the Pharisees say, the son of David. This is where I thought I was going to get at today and kind of working, diving down into this more and and stretching this out and seeing the framework of all this. And and I need for it to be on the table that God has established a, a covenant special thing here with David that is going on that we then see show up in the New Testament with Jesus Christ as the son of David. God has doing a, a forever kind of thing. And yet in all of that conversation, it points me over to this deeply relational aspect of this. God covenants. I'm not talking about a theological framework. I am talking about a relational framework. God covenants. When you go back on this, this paragraph of what it's talking about what God is saying, God is the one who is establishing. God is the one who has been doing. God is the one who will do. God is the one who puts into place. And there's a part of that for you and me in a very noisy, very active, in a very you earn your way, you earn all things mindset world. Take a breath because know this, God covenants himself. And when God covenants himself, you and I, it's God's work. And in all of this, God speaks and God covenants in relationship. A covenanted relationship is very different than another relationship. Dating is one thing, a covenanted marriage is another thing. God is interested in a covenant relationship. I don't know, maybe you've been dating Jesus. Kind of like, you know, when it works for me, let's go out together. But when I'm busy, or I kind of have my thing going on, 
You do your thing. I think that's where Jesus in Matthew 7 is saying, there are many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. I think he's talking about those people who are dating the Lord. And instead, there's this thing where a covenant relationship, as we'll see here in a little bit, it begins with words. Oh, can you just, oh, what's the last wedding you've been at? It begins with words and it's followed and carry out in actions. God speaks. God covenants. And now it's time for David to respond to all this. I mean, he's the one who had the good idea. And God's like, you know what? A house will be fine. But David, it's not going to be through you. I wonder what David's going to say. Then, verse 18, King David went in, sat before the Lord, and said, oh, let's kind of go there. He sits before the Lord, and he says, by the way, what he is about to say here there are, if I remember right, there are 35 yous and yours. That's a lot. It's, it's all vertically driven. It, it's you, God. It's about yours, God. And, and let's listen to David's response. Who am I, O oh Lord God? <laughs> well, there's a starting place. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? By the way, answer. Because God covenanted himself with David. Not because David is awesome, but because God is awesome. Verse 19. And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. O Lord God is in here like eight, nine, ten times. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and and this is instruction for mankind, O oh Lord God, exclamation point. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O oh Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, the fact of the matter is that you are great, O oh Lord God. For there is none like you. And there is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people. Making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people. Whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established it. For yourself, your people Israel, to be your people forever. What verse am I on? Thank you. No, I'm not 25. What verse am I on? All right. 
I actually did do sermon prep this week. I just can't read. I'll start at 25. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. What a sweet moment. And by the way, in all of this, there, there's so much theology that's taking place and so much in the whole plan and the timeline of how God is working things. But, but in all this, I, I just want to stay on this fact of, do you see this intimacy of relationship with the Lord God of the universe? It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, I'm not talking about a Hallmark movie. I am talking about a deep relationship with God and God uh, participating and God speaking into and and speaking back and declaring uh, all that is taking place. And and in this, I just want to pause on this because something can get missed after all of this speaking by David by this fact. God listens. David is naming these things of God that he is the grand one, that he is the great one, that he is the, the, the God of all gods in that. And yet we can forget the fact that God is actually legitimately giving his full attention and listening to every word that David says. And God, 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 God is taking in every piece of it. And can't you just sit there and imagine that God is like... Sweet bud. Right before coming in, um, our grandson ran into my office and Peepaw, can I give you a hug? Like, uh, yeah. (laughs) Like that. If you know Christ is your Savior, not only are you indwelt by the Spirit of God, but you have Jesus Christ as your advocate before the Father, and the Father hears. You got the whole game involved. And it is sweet. And, and seriously, I ask myself, 
Why don't I go there more often? Be encouraged. God listens. And lastly, I want to finish with this. Not only does David respond in these beautiful words, but I'm just going to make reference to chapter 8 just very quickly. I think chapter 8 shows that David responds in words and in actions. Just quickly, take a look at verse 1 of chapter 8. After this, David defeated. Verse 2, and he defeated. Verse 3, and he also defeated. Go to verse 15 in chapter 8. So David reigned over Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. It's a fascinating thing because in the original, the chapter breaks weren't there. And oftentimes we, we, because of that, it's helpful to get to these places. But oftentimes we'll sector thought off and stop thought and then begin new thought. But actually when we're reading through this, it's going through this covenanted relationship of what's happening. And it goes right from that into the next. And it's like you get this feel from the author that it's like there's this, there's this moment of things taking place of God establishing and, and speaking and covenanting and, and then David uh, uh, speaking and God listening in that and then right after that David goes out and acts. Listen, I would say it's all of that comes then f- is followed by action. Covenanted relationship begins with words, is sustained in words, but is followed by action. And I'll note, in the actions of it all, verse 14 of chapter 8, the end of verse 14, it says, and the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Who who gave him victory? The Lord gave him. By the way, be very careful, don't turn that statement into the prosperity gospel thing. Because you got to remember, like the last 12, 13, 14, 15 years, God's been more adversity for you, buddy. More adversity for you, buddy. More adversity for you, buddy. Hey, how about some rest? Okay, I'll take some rest. Okay, I'm going to toss in some victory here for a while. And by the way, who brought the victory? By the way, why was David selected to be king as a shepherd boy? You see, we just think it's because David earned that. No, no. That's the way we do business. That's not the way God does business. In this, God put David out, not because David was the most awesome, but because God picked David. And then God carries and God is doing victory through David, not because David earned that victory, but because you know what? God decided victory. And it just should cause us to go, oh man, I got to stop trying so hard to please God. I just need to love him. And I'll note here on this fourth item, just the fact that God acts. God is the one that gave 
gave David victory. David didn't have these victories because David is awesome. It's because God was awesome. And God in his sovereign timing, in his sovereign way, said victory there and victory there and victory there. And yet the reality is, is that David went out knowing the covenanted truth of his relationship with the Lord. And it is out of that that God is working. I am not saying David earned it. David understood what God was doing and God working in him caused him to respond in such a way that God is, is, is doing things in it. Please, I'm not getting into the earning it mode. It's a together mode. That's what covenant relationships do. And I just want to encourage you with that today, I hope. I don't have any grand pastoral finish off moment. I don't have three all same word things to go therefore with. Seriously, today's just hard on the table with what God's done. But, but I, I, I would say this. Maybe you've never really entered into a covenant relationship with the God of the universe. I, I mean, for real. Maybe it has been, as you look at your life, you look and you go, you know what? I think actually I've kind of been dating God. And when it works for me, I'm in. When it doesn't work for me, do your own thing. Friend, that is not relationship with God. A covenanted relationship begins with words. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It begins with words. It begins with communication of I'm a sinner separated from a holy God, and you are God, and I am in deep trouble in light of my sin. And God, I repent, I confess, I receive the work of Christ on the cross who did for me what I could not do for me, and as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, adopted, might I say, covenant adopted children. Given a new name, in a new relationship, no dating, covenanted. And if you have never driven the stake in the ground and entered into that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I call it, today's your day, man. Today is your day, woman. Today is the day, teen. Not to date him, but covenant on from here on out. And if you'd like to get someone around with you to do that, you come and ask. Ask someone next to you, and you drive the stake in the ground. And I would say, if you have covenanted, entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord, I don't know what your week's been like, and I don't know what your month's been like, but your God speaks and your God covenants and your God listens and your God acts. And it is not based upon how the performance you performed this last week or month. You are held by him, in him, through him. 
And maybe it's like, yeah, but I've been prodigalizing it. I don't know what the word is. Come back. Come back. Oh, by the way, the text says, the father runs to him. Arms open. Be encouraged. So Lord, in all of the noise and all of the hurt of our day and our world and our times right now, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy just to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get lost. But you speak, you covenant, you listen, you act, and you love deep relationship. God, maybe there's someone in this room who has never entered into that. I pray today's their day. Today's their day. Today is their day. If that's pushing on you, pressing in you, working in you, now, face down, come to Christ. If you are in Christ, you have every reason to hope. Because you have a God that loves you. You have a God that is interested in deep relationship with you. God, because of that, we adore you. In Christ's name, amen.